You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Today is a beautiful day here in Central Texas, and we have an amazing guest lined up with you today, one of my colleagues and cohorts, and someone that I very much look up to and have learned a lot from and been inspired by this guy's activism. We're going to be talking with Derek Rose today of the Conscious Resistance Network. Going to get into all sorts of stuff, big tech censorship, dark winter, great reset. And as usual with both of our work, we're going to focus heavily on the solutions and what we can do to find freedom in our lifetimes and insulate ourselves from this great reset technocratic nightmare that's coming up. Before we go on, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast at livefreenow.show as we will learn from our conversation with Derek Bros the big tech censorship on YouTube, Facebook, and the mainstream platforms is real. I remember when the social media was like the alternative and this free open space, but now it's just as controlled as the mainstream media, unfortunately. So you can subscribe to me at uh, livefreenow.show. That way you'll be tuned into the RSS feed, which can't be taken away from us. Although I guess they could pull it from iTunes and stuff like they did with old Jones. We're going to go over Derek's website, theconsciousresistance.com, where there's all sorts of alternative ways to follow him as well. And then I want to invite you to check out our sponsor if you haven't yet. A lot of people are finding a lot of success, feeling good, quitting opioids, quitting all sorts of pharmaceuticals through Kratom. And you can try a free ounce of Kratom. Just pay $5 shipping and handling. Send you this free ounce of green mangda. There's also white types that help with stress, anxiety, energy focus. The red ones a lot of people take for pain and relaxation. You can go to freeounceofkratom.com. And if you're listening to us on one of the Conscious Resistance channels, or if you like what Derek Bros has to say and you want to support him and the Conscious Resistance Network, then head on over to bros.freeounceofkratom.com. Bros.freeounceofkratom.com. And uh, the Conscious Resistance Network will get a little piece of the pie. But without further ado, let's bring old Derek Bros on to the scene here. Good friend of mine. How you doing, Derek? Hey, I'm doing good, brother. How are you? Good, good. You're you're live streaming down there from Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. Yep. In Mexico and enjoying it. And how's uh, it treating you? It's treating me well. Things are going good, and we're not really locked down or facing the kind of force of the face masks and uh, things are very chill. The weather's good. So just kind of enjoying it. And, you know, obviously it's sort of related to everything we're talking about as well as just a desire to get away from the heat of Houston. <laughs> yeah. in the state of Houston, Houston's hardcore, man. Um, Mexico and Mexicans, they really don't fuck around when it comes to the government. They have a historic lack of trust, rightfully so. And then there's this weird power dynamic with cartel groups competing for uh, sovereignty and hegemony in certain areas with the government. I think it creates a unique opportunity for Mexicans to live live free and organically. And there's also the institution of the church and the family mm -hmm. that hasn't been destroyed like it is, is here in the States. Can you riff on that? Is that what you experience? Yeah, I mean, it's that's definitely true on one hand. And then at the same time, I'll, you know, I'll talk in a moment about how there are people who seem to just be kind of buying to the narrative. But I don't necessarily think that's because they just trust the government. It seems more like in the case of COVID that a lot of people are just doing what they feel is the most compassionate thing to do. You know, that's kind of the way that this whole operation is playing on people. It's playing on people's fears, but also their desires to be compassionate and to care for their fellow humans, which I think in one hand is a good sign because it shows people do have compassion. It's just being manipulated. Um, but generally, yeah, the Mexican people do not have a trust of government. So even though uh, in the city where I'm at, Morelia and Michoacan, uh, which is just a couple hours away from Chiran, where, you know, as you know, they were able to successfully kick, kick out the cops and politicians and uh, cartel and get recognized as an autonomous uh, city. This area, you see the, there's hashtag stay in your homes. There's signs all over all the stores that say masks are you know required in order to come in. But the vast majority of them don't even actually follow that at all. And I think it's just kind of a thing where the people, especially the business owners, they just do whatever they think they have to do in order to stay out of trouble. Yeah. But if you come in there and especially, I mean, 
it might be, of course, it's a little different in the U.S. where people might feel a bit more luxury and they don't, they're not necessarily, um, more and more people are going on food banks and, and living check to check. But in Mexico, it's very real, real where people can't just lock down and not work for a week because they might not, you know, make it to the next week. So um, despite following a lot of the rules and regulations, many of the businesses, most of the businesses just totally, you know, if you're coming in there to spend money and support them, they're not going to tell you to leave, um, at least the vast majority. Now, if you try to go to like, like there is a Walmart out here. There's like bigger grocery stores. Those are the places that are trying to enforce mask temperature checks and those kinds of things. But we just don't go there. We go support the local grocers and local farmers that there's so many markets out here in Mexico. It's just, it's really not that difficult to, you know, to avoid the markets and stuff like that. And, uh, and then the other people who might be wearing masks, what we notice is even if they're wearing a mask, business owners and people, nobody's harassed us. And we try to take it as an opportunity to let them know, like, for example, the other day I was out to lunch with some friends. Yep. Gathering with people within six feet and hanging out together and eating without masks. And we let the server know, you don't have to wear that mask around us if you don't want to. And of course she took it off. And, you know, so it's, uh, there are some people who are complying, but like I said, I don't think it's because they just trust the government. I think that the media everywhere, even in Mexico, is pumping up all kinds of fear porn. And even people like Mexican people that we know back in Houston are watching the news, the American Spanish language news, and it's telling them that there are bodies piling up in Mexico, that they're having to cremate bodies because there's so many of them. And, you know, there's just so much propaganda out here. So it doesn't surprise me that some people are kind of buying into it. And our hope is that we can start to try to maybe turn the tide here in uh, in the city we're in. Yeah. Somebody asked, uh, JB Drake asked, what city, what's the city you just mentioned again? I would like to look into it. I think they're asking about Chedon, which overthrew the police and kicked out the mayor and the, you're not allowed to have any campaign signs or anything for state and federal stuff. So yeah, that's Chedon. And then you're in Morelia, right? Both in yeah. Yukon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's just, I, it's interesting because I wrote about this state years ago before I ever really even started exploring Mexico because I was writing about the auto defenses and the community defense mm -hmm. and just kind of watching from a distance, like, Oh my God, this is beautiful. This is awesome. And so really kind of a synchronicity to end up out here. And uh, I do hope to go visit Chedon soon and do some reporting out there. And cause you know, it's a developing situation, of course, just like with anything, it's not a perfect situation. Um, they might not be autonomous forever. Uh, unfortunately, um, the whole thing about being autonomous is you gotta be able to defend yourself. And if, uh, like you said, there's a dynamic of not only the state, but cartels and cartels is kind of like a catch all term, right? Most people hear that and they think of like, major drug cartels, Pablo Escobar, something like that, or, you know, the Sinaloa cartel. And that is definitely a part of the landscape and parts of the country. It doesn't really affect us out here, but also cartels can just be shorthand for like local gangs and small towns that choose yeah. to try to take advantage and, you know, do different things like that. And, you know, just small time criminals. And then that can also lead up to like bigger institutions that are running like full businesses that are, are in some cases connected to, or, uh, partnered with or bribing the government in some ways. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it is an interesting dynamic and what we've found. And of course, I've only been visiting for the last four years and living here for you know the last few months is that every instance that I've heard about where somebody has been shot or killed or some kind of brutal thing has happened, which does happen in some parts of the country, it isn't typically, I, I really haven't seen any case where it's just a random person. It's people who are kind of involved in that trade. And I'm not saying that makes it right or better or anything like that, because obviously I'm against anybody who thinks that the way they should conduct business is violence, whether that's the state or the cartel or just some guy on the street. Um, but yeah, generally, if you're not getting involved in their trade, their drug trade and other things, then you really don't even notice it. You know, you know, it might be in the background. You know, we might just be totally ignorant. It's in the background of everything we're doing here. But I just came back from the gym. We go on bike rides. We go to the store. You know, it's not like a people are getting beheaded at every street corner and this kind of thing that a lot of Americans and foreigners have heard. Yeah, they in uh, Chadan when we visited, they just called them the malos, like the bad guys, as a mm -hmm. fit all. Um, now, if you're a Mexican business owner, in a lot of instances, they are forced to pay extortion, which isn't very different than the government forcing people to pay taxes, right? And yeah. maybe they actually do protect, unlike the government. But yeah, it's it's a wild experience down there, and you're doing the underground railroad thing, kind of giving people an opportunity to make their way down to Mexico, uh, because a lot of people find more freedom, and you're able to just live your life a little more easily. Can you talk about that project? Yeah, and again, that's that's part of kind of the. 
uh, I don't want to say it's a reaction to COVID because it's something that I was working on even prior to this. It, I first wrote about it in my uh, recent book, How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State, which came out, um, I wrote it late 2019 and it came out early 2020, uh, right before COVID happened. So it was kind of a perfect timing. Mm -hmm. And basically it was just picking up the work of Samuel Konkin and you know your audience obviously knows about agorism and um, you know, counter economics. And part of my book, How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State, was republishing and reprinting Konkin's final unfinished book, which was just titled Counter Economics. And it was supposed to be like this epic tome that proved counter economics as like both a strategy and a science. And I mean, mm -hmm. he really had some epic plans for it. And um, in there, he, he, he did have like a few kind of footnotes about the Underground Railroad as like a counter economic action, which I think fits perfectly because, again, the the original Underground Railroad was during slavery in the United States. And most people know that people escaped to Canada, but people also did escape to Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, there definitely were safe houses coming south as well. And so those people were individuals that opened up their homes or, you know, gave a, a lift somewhere or escorted some, someone knowing that it was illegal, knowing that the fugitive slave law would, you know, put them in prison for helping runaway slaves. And even sometimes military officers or police themselves would take bribes or look, you know, turn a blind eye. So all of those are counter economic actions because they're going against what the state says in order to do something to help another person. You know, just, there's an exchange going on. And so I started to think about that in terms of the growing technocracy. And again, this was pre-COVID just because as a journalist for the last 10 years, writing about stingrays and facial recognition technologies and the militarization of the border and all this stuff, like it's, it's clear that this was that this is coming and it has been coming. So I started to think about how do we be agorist in, in the time of social credit scores and, and all the technocracy and everything. And uh, I talked about two different strategies. One is called holding down the fort, which I think is what you're doing and plenty of other people are doing. And neither of them are you know better than the other. They're just different strategies that we each choose. Holding down the fort is choosing to stay in your home base because you want to hold it down and try to free that area or maybe financial reasons or whatever it may be, you choose to stay there and build and, you know, build community, build freedom cells. The other strategy that I'm choosing is what I call exit and build. I prefer that to bugging out because I think it's more accurate to what we're trying to do. Um, bugging out kind of gives this message, I think of like fleeing and running to the hills where I more see what I'm doing is trying to build now so that in the event that the people who hold down the fort or people in the U S or wherever else, you know, if things don't progress in a positive way, if we can't, you know, pull off the greater reset, that there's somewhere to go to, that there's somewhere to exit and build to. So as part of that idea, um, I just wanted to, you know, how do people who are in the U.S. or even people get reaching out from Australia, from the EU, elsewhere who are locked down, how do they get somewhere that they feel is relatively safe? Like you said, Mexico offers a lot of different things for some people in, in that regard. Um and so I just kind of put out this call, like if you're interested, email me and that email is still available. We're just calling it Operation Underground Railroad and the email is just O-P-U-R-R at protonmail.com. And, and uh, I think I announced it in April or May. And we've had so many people reach out, like I said, from all over the world. Uh, and it's really sad to hear people say, hey, I live in France. We haven't been out, able to go outside in four months. But if we ever can again, I'd like to come visit Mexico or, wow. you know, we're totally locked down in Australia. I can't even leave the country, but please keep me in mind in case that changes. And mm -hmm. I mean, this is real life stuff that people are dealing with already and that the U.S. could very well soon be dealing with. So um, we basically just take in those emails, put them in a spreadsheet, try to coordinate that. We just completed our first caravan about two weeks ago. I uh, went back to Houston across the border and we met some people who traveled as far as Oregon and New York and all over the U.S. We met in Houston and then helped them get across the border and figure out the paperwork because that stuff can be a little confusing, especially mm -hmm. if you've never driven across the border, if you don't speak Spanish. like yeah. You know, people can try to take advantage of you if they see that you're lost. Like, hey, come this way. We'll help you out or whatever. That stuff does happen, um, especially mainly at the border. That's the thing is the border is just the most unsafe place as far as I can tell. Like not the entire border, but both dealing with the U.S. ice and customs and all that mm -hmm. is just a nightmare. But also just trying to navigate like, OK, where do I go to fill out this paperwork and how much do I pay? So part of the process is helping people get literally just get across the border. And then from there, some people have their own plans like, oh, I'm going to go visit family here. Or I want to visit this town and they go about their own way. Others chose to kind of ride all the way with us back to Morelia. And uh, we so we did the two day trip and brought people down here and it helped them get set up in their own houses and apartments. And some are planning to be here just for a couple of weeks while they watch the election and 
you know, election chaos and confusion. Others are thinking more long term. And uh, yeah, so and I, and I, I did recently announce I actually just went on Corbett uh, yesterday or the day before and um, letting people know, like, we're already getting so much response. Like just in the last two days, I've probably had 40 new emails from people who are interested in coming down to Mexico because, you know, some of them because they're like, oh, no, Biden's in office. This, you know, I need to leave now or whatever. Um, but others, I think, are just generally concerned about the direction of things. And, and I expect that this will increase the closer we get to Inauguration Day, that there will probably be more people. And we are planning. I'm not in any rush to go back, but I'm. we're kind of tentatively planning a, a late December, one more caravan prior to the inauguration for people who are interested in that. Right on. And I, I, I think it's important to know also there's the exit and build strategy and then there's the hold down the fort, which you, well, which you brought up. People can do both, too, and there can be synergy within them. And if you are choosing to hold down the fort, because one of the things that I think is really important whenever you choose like where you're going to exist to try to be as free as possible is the network and the community that you have, which is one of the reasons why I'm tied here to Central Texas, my family, the Liberty community, friends, business opportunities. But the cool thing about the size of our community is that if you know the, the Liberty movement and the agorists and all these folks crypto geeks and stuff is if you have enough people, you can build community there. And it sounds like you guys have a growing community in Morelia. Um, and if you're going to hold it down in the States, still have that exit plan. You don't want to be scrambling at the last minute, learning that you need to have this registration on your license plate or else you have to get pony up some money or you aren't able to cross because your dog doesn't have the proper vaccine papers or whatever. It's it's actually kind of an extensive thing to get across the border, unfortunately, and it's only going to get more difficult. So for those that think it's a big pie in the sky dream to move out of the country or something, it might be a good idea to at least have a footing or an understanding of what that looks like. And we have a couple questions that have popped up. Um, Christy says, what are high schools like in Morelia? We are seriously thinking about leaving the U.S. if there's a mandate to vaccinate all kids. I'm first generation Mexican-American. I speak fluent Spanish and so does my child. Do you have any reading on the, the schools? I was impressed with the schools. There's like Montessori schools and stuff when we were in Acapulco. What's it like yeah. in Morelia? You got any pulse on that? There, there's similar, similar, the Montessori schools and all that. And um, I don't know specifically, like, as far as like the, how the high schools are rated and the quality and this and that. But I do know that there is the University of Michoacan, that there is one location here in Morelia. So there's definitely is, you know, college education. And, and there are people out here who seem to be focused on that. Um, anybody who has questions about Mexico can definitely direct that to the OPURR at ProtonMail, because that's kind of where we're, just you know, handling questions like that. And, and we definitely, me and my partner Miriam have been doing lots and lots of research, not only here in Morelia, like for example, all the people that came down, we did a uh, let's go visit all the organic markets in town. We've been really blessed to find now that things are kind of opening back up. They were sort of slightly closed down in March. We're finding just an abundance of local farms, organic farms, you know, just so much good food. So we're kind of setting people up that we're trying to find out more about the childcare situation because they're definitely our parents and people coming down with families. Um, so I will find out everything I can on that. Christy, if you want to email me, we can follow up with that. And I think the important thing is just to be proactive and to be part of the solution. So maybe the school system doesn't work for you, or maybe it's difficult to for an American citizen. I don't know if you have Mexican citizenry. You said you're Mexican-American, so I assume American citizen. Maybe it's difficult to get into the public education system. The more people that are down there, the more easy it is to create a homeschool cooperative. And I think a lot of people... Mm -hmm aren't solutions oriented like for a while now. And I think you're on the same page, Derek. We don't really see problems. We just contemplate solutions to those problems. Right. And so the problem of what am I going to do about my children and their education can easily be solved when you just get creative and you start being proactive. And I don't want to hammer on Mexico for the whole interview, but it seems to pique people's interest. Uh, Larry Lane says, how could someone make a living there? There's all sorts of opportunity to earn a living online. And as we'll talk about the great, great, the great reset and the technocracy, more and more is going to be going online. I don't want to buy into that. I still want to insist on the human element and in person, but we're really entering a digital world. That was already a trend. It's being exploited by the new world order types, but uh, there's plenty of opportunity to still earn a living uh, online servicing the world. 
And then here, I'm just going to throw out this quick tip for folks in Mexico. This is a great opportunity to make money. You go around to local businesses. Ideally, you speak halfway decent Espanol or you go with someone that does and you offer to build them a simple website or get them set up on Google Maps or whatever it may be. So there's plenty of opportunity. There's a lot of hustlers in Mexico and a lot of agorists. So again, it goes back with the solutions and what you can do to to make stuff happen. All right. So let's... um. Let's hit a different topic. You have been doing a lot of research on the dark winter and all of these drills and simulations. And you and I both have been in the 9-11 truth community for quite some time. And that was a one of their strategies and tactics, not only to create confusion. Um, there's drills. People thought the air traffic controllers thought it was a simulation because they had just previously done some Air Force drills and all sorts of stuff. But I think really what we're seeing with the COVID experience is a lot of the drills in event 201 was like preparation and scripting. So they have the talking points. So they have the infrastructure in place. And uh, I got home from work last night and my girlfriend, Rebecca, was watching a documentary on Hulu about COVID-19. And they're like, we were able to ask for $10 billion right away because we knew exactly what we would need to do this contact tracing and vaccine rollout. We knew it would be $10 billion because we had just drilled it in Crimson Contagion. They talked a whole lot about Crimson Contagion. Can you talk about some of the uh, the simulations and drills that are taking place and how the players that are involved? I mean, on a podcast I did recently, I laid out my hop and lie hop, which was a 9-11 truth term. Mm-hmm. My hop has made it happen on purpose. The buildings were rigged. It was part of an intelligence operation. The U.S. government was involved or criminal elements within the U.S. government. Let it happen was we knew that it was going to happen. Uh, Condoleezza Rice had documents saying bin Laden determined to attack within the United States. They let it happen. They let their defenses down. Do you think that COVID is a my hop made it happen? Like it's literally made in a virus in a in a lab, and, and of course we're speculating here because we can't really know. Or do you think it's a let let it happen? And what role do the simulations and the and the drills play in all that? Yeah, I was glad you reminded me of those phrases recently. And uh, I just want to do a quick shout out to the fifty five people who are watching through D Live. That's awesome, and the people over on Float as well. We appreciate you guys. It doesn't show up on the on our program, and we can't really oh, see the on. comments there. But thanks to everybody who's watching over there. Um, yeah, so I think that, yeah, generally it is speculation because clearly we don't have the golden, we don't have the documents that prove like here they are talking about every step they're going to take. Yeah. But as with not, not just 9-11, I mean, the more educated that the conspiracy truth or movements have become, the more we have learned that these drills precede most major events, including the Oklahoma City bombing going back to 1995 and up to recent school shootings and mass shootings, you know, they're just always tends to be some drill days before or maybe at the exact same time nearby and it's often simulating either the exact scenario or there maybe a couple of details are off right Mm -hmm. Um, but generally it's kind of a clue Um, but I do think that the evidence that has built since way back in February to this point and the different individuals who are definitely more uh, credentialed and experts in in the uh, the field of virology and things of that sort have pointed to the fact that this does seem to be a created virus, that it was in some way manufactured, probably in, with the Chinese and the US working together in the lab near Wuhan as well. I mean, that's there's definitely still more information that I'm sure we'll find out over the years, but um, there have been a number of studies that have pointed that to, to that since the beginning. And of course mm-hmm. those studies were censored and that we were immediately told, oh, you know, they were flawed, don't pay any attention to them. It's a Republican conspiracy. Yeah, exactly. So I do think that there probably is a a reasonable amount of evidence to lean towards that somebody made this happen. Now, I can't point to exactly, you know, is it Bill Gates or this? I mean, different people are clearly benefiting, just like with 9-11. That's what makes it so, so familiar is that 9-11 wasn't just for one single purpose. I mean, it checked off so many different boxes for these people for the predator class, like increasing the security state, the surveillance state, keeping people in fear, getting money Uh, for war. Division. Same thing. And, and uh, you know, the, I was talking about this last night on, on uh, Freethinker Radio. The banks are getting rich again off of this. I mean, so many people are just the billionaires are getting, you know, more billions. It's just it's clear that this operation is is lining so many pockets and checking off so many boxes that pushes us towards the technocracy that to me, it's impossible to imagine that this is just an accident of, uh, you know, of nature just kind of unfolding. Because if so, which I know you've talked about this, it goes towards whether or not you lean 
to the conspiratorial worldview of history or the accidental view of history that everything is just a series of accidents unfolding. And it, you know, and if that was the case, you would imagine that occasionally things might go wrong for these people. It wouldn't always seem to fall in their favor. Or if you take a more conspiratorial view, which simply means that people conspire together to make things happen or to take advantage of them, like you said, with letting things happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's clear that there is not only an agenda, but that people are benefiting from this. And so I, I would lean more in the direction that somebody made this happen. Yeah, I, I got I was reminded of the conspiratorial versus the accidental in uh, Gary Allen's None Dare Call It Conspiracy, yeah. which, uh, you know, early on in my activist career, started in 2002 when I caught a documentary about 9-11 and then I just listened to Alex Jones, just pounded Alex Jones. I'd be walking to my college classes, listening to Alex and the earphones and just thinking that I was like all high and mighty because I was in the know and I was awake, right? And come to find out a lot of his awakening, awakeness is like real skewed as of late, especially towards right wing and fear. And, he, and he's buying into the division and supporting Trump with the Department of Homeland Security when he knew that the Department of Homeland Security was like the Stasi essentially. But um, back then, influenced in large part by Jones, I saw like everything is a conspiracy. Look at the shell logo. It's a symbolism and Exxon this and everything's part of this New World Order conspiracy. And then as I learned about Austrian economics and libertarianism, I started to see that a lot more of it was just selfishness and greed and like exploiting and leveraging the institution of government. But since COVID, man, I've dove back into the conspiracy stuff and doing some research and the great reset and all of the Rockefeller stuff. And I really think that a significant portion of our lives is like a part of a program and human beings have been manipulated from birth and like trauma plays a role in it. Trauma-based society, even at birth in the hospital and the circumcision and all this crazy stuff. And so I, I feel like I'm getting back to my roots and that more of it is more conspiratorial. Um, that being said, one thing I like about your messaging, and I echo this as well, is we always try to stay optimistic. And so even though there is this big conspiracy and a lot of stuff is contrived and controlled, a significant portion of our lives, we're living free, right? And I imagine it's more so as a expat or a foreigner living in Mexico, you know, like people are just going along and living their lives. And even though there's this state or there's this fear of COVID and stuff, we have a whole lot of, of freedom. So I just wanted to throw that out there, even though there is this massive conspiracy to create a totalitarian technocracy, panopticon surveillance society on a global scale, we still do have a whole lot of freedom. And I think we need to focus on that freedom so we can um, carve out our little piece of the pie. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about those? Anything that was like really crazy telling about event 201 or crimson contagion or any of the drills, any big uh, dots that you managed to connect that are, that are pretty revealing. Well, I mean, the thing about event 201, so that took October, took place October 18, 2019. So over a year ago, and it was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, a lot of the people who are also involved in pushing what they're calling the Great Reset now, which is basically time to reset capitalism. And, and obviously, like many of us understand that the current system, whatever you want to call it, capitalism, corporatism, whatever, is flawed and that there are unsustainable systems and, you know, out there that exist. So many of us would say, hey, maybe this sounds good. Maybe we do need a, a reset of our systems and let's make things more equitable or social justice. And a lot of these kind of catchphrases that many people and I think well-meaning people buy into. But of course, what they're describing is some kind of top-down control. So these people that are pushing for top-down control were promoting Event 201. And as part of Event 201, not only did they discuss like, hey, well, how are we gonna handle some coronavirus pandemic that sweeps the world? But they also discussed everything that we're seeing. I mean, it's literally like, this is why, again, the simulations matter. I know that some people, particularly with Darkest Winter, I think those who are uninitiated were sort of like, okay, who cares about a bunch of different exercises? Like this is the government being prepared, right? Isn't that what we want, want them to do? Um, without that sort of back knowledge of how many simulations have preceded major world events. Um, but in the sim, not only did they run a simulation on the virus itself, but they ran a simulation on how the people would respond. And everything that they have simulated is, are, are, is the way that they are treating us, censoring of alternative opinions that they label disinformation. Um, they also floated within Event 201 the possibility of shutting down the internet for temporary periods of time to stop this flow of disinformation. And they also talked about arresting people who were going against the COVID narrative. Now, we haven't quite got to those points, but 
you know, just to be aware, these are the things that they are kind of wargaming and saying, hey, we might have to go this route. You know, we might have to think about, is it a good idea to shut down the internet temporarily? Is it a good idea to arrest people and hold them temporarily until, you know, the disinformation coincides? And then of course, as COVID is rolled out, so that was October, 2018. Then by February, January, we start hearing about COVID. By March, places are locking down. And then we start hearing this phrase, the infodemic. And they're saying it's not just a pandemic, there's an infodemic, the spread of viral disinformation. And it's, you know, it's encouraging people not to take vaccines or not to wear masks or to promote the idea of lockdowns and all this sort of stuff. So um, I do encourage everybody to check the Darkest Winter documentary. It's only 12 minutes long, mini doc, but the script itself is linked to all the exercises and to all the information you could want. Because I see some people asking about uh, reading up on the simulations. The yeah, script leads to every one of there. them. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's on the front page of the consciousresistance.com. And, you know, that's event 201, but there's also a couple, you know, you mentioned Crimson Contagion, there was Claydex, and there was even a few other ones. There's one that I wish I would have remembered to include in there because it re relates more to the uh, the food situation. As you know, John, the United Nations is predicting like millions, possibly billions of people going into poverty, into food shortages. They're saying that COVID has affected all these different industries, you know, different um supply chains and yep. a, a number of different uh, farms have had to kill all their chickens or their crops have been destroyed. And it's all being blamed on COVID, just like the the downfall of the economy is being blamed on COVID when we know that these things were already taking place. This is sort of just providing cover for what was taking place already. Yeah. Um, but in this other exercise, they did another sort of simulation of, I can't remember what it was called, food something, maybe even the food reset or something, but similar tem terminology. And I believe John Podesta, who is former DNC. That fucking uh, guy. Yeah, Pizzagate guy. He was he was involved in that one as well. And again, they sort of predicted or simulated what's going to happen if there's food shortages around the country. The other one is um, not related to the pandemic, but it's, I think, still relevant. And it was done by a company called Cyber Reason, which is connected to the US and Israeli intelligence, which Again, going back to 9-11, yep. those who understand 9-11 and U.S.-Israeli intelligence connections, it's some of the same players. And a lot of these people who are executives and CEOs of Cyber Reason in the last two weeks have now started to be interviewed in different mainstream outlets and talked about, you know, here are the experts saying how we could potentially be facing a, a new cyber 9-11 or, you know, what have you. So these the signs are being put out there in front of us and i think people need to be aware of them cyber reason ran a simulation called operation blackout and it was more specific to the election and it said that there was the potential that there would be um hackers on the election that maybe people would hack vehicles and you know crash into voters and just diff predicting different chaos and obviously we haven't seen that yet but they did predict that the election would be contest contested and that this would lead to civil unrest and you know, potentially martial law, whereas the Supreme Court of the military would have to decide who the president was. Then you've got the that's the election integrity project one. No, this is that was Cyber Reasons Operation okay, Black. Another one, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Mo nearly all of these ones that have simulated the election or something near it end in martial law or end in like, you know, oh, guinea pig says it's reset the table. That's what it was, um, and I think that was by the Rockefeller Foundation. Um, but but the. Uh, with the, their lockstep also the rockefellers are exactly. all over it i mean and i just did an article yesterday not to get too far off but i did an article yesterday on biden's new 13 member coronavirus task mm -hmm. force and several of the people are tied to i think eight out of the 13 are connected to the gates foundation another few of them are connected to the rockefeller foundation one of them was just inducted as a member of the council of foreign relations like two months ago rama I mean, Emanuel's brother i saw yeah it's pretty swampy. So, but a lot of those same people, um, <laughs> like involved swamp in, ass up in there. <laughs> no, it's in, and look, I will even say that, I mean, operation warp speed, which is launched under the Trump admin and is still running. And I haven't heard Biden talk about stopping that. So I'm sure they're going to continue that on is equally swampy to, yep. you know, Biden's new thing here. So as I wrote in the article, it's just continuing the trend that Trump is setting, which is what these people do. One president creates it and passes it on, but uh, the other simulation that you mentioned was the Transition Integrity Project. And um, they, of course, were like, hey, we're just concerned neocons and anti-Trumpers and, you know, Democrat, Biden, Clinton, kind of Obama faction people who want to make sure that we maintain the integrity of the election. And so they ran four different war game scenarios on how the election could go. And it appears that so far we are seeing scenario number four play out, which is a narrow Biden win. And they even specifically say that Fox News calls the election and you know that trump gets upset by this and you know they go into real details um but i will say that in that scenario if that's what we're watching unfold 
they they say that you know things get tense and but eventually ultimately it is a you know tense but eventual transition which i think you know i don't even get into the trying to go down that rabbit hole but i think it is going to end up being despite all the hubbub and the talk of this and that which we should still be prepared for a dark winter or whatever because that phrase is going being used more and more i wouldn't be surprised though if that the transition to power is typical maybe with a little oh trump didn't shake hands or whatever but ultimately i think if biden is the chosen one which israel has already recognized biden saudi arabia has already recognized biden to me those are some big players already saying like we're okay with this let's go forward yeah boris johnson did too who was exactly buddies with trump so if these people are starting to accept it i think it's just a matter of time you know trump will will leave office and then maybe it'll be at a big hubbub or whatever i don't think we've seen the last of him but Ultimately, I think it will just pass on because it seems like maybe there will be chaos, but perhaps kind of the, the theory I've been playing with is that Trump was the chaos and Biden is the order and not in the sense of law and order, but in the sense of order out of chaos that Trump comes in, divides the country, creates a lot of, you know, maybe pushes back in some ways and creates this illusion of being the anti-establishment candidate and, you know, triggers the left wingers and just creates a lot of problems. And now I've, I'm sure you've seen this. Most of the people who I know who are left-leaning are just, they're just happy to be rid of Trump. Like they don't even care. They're just like, Derek, I can honestly breathe better. I feel like I'm, you know, they're so glued into how these politicians that they're like, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm a new person. Like that's how much it's affected them. So I do yeah. feel like if they let Biden in, the same agenda can come forward and maybe even roll forward even quicker and less people will question it because, you know, they're just happy to be rid of Trump. So yeah, that's a little bit about some of the simulations. And and I didn't really mention dark winter, but that's also a part of that. And that goes back to nine, pre 9-11 military exercises, predicting the smallpox outbreaks, and again, the potential for martial law. Um, so, I mean, all of these things are worrisome now that Biden has used the phrase a couple of times, Kamala Harris has used it. Yeah, Biden just chose the whistleblower who also used that phrase in front of uh, Congress. I mean, it's 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 appearing more and more in the media as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that one was before 9-11. And there's all sorts of tools that these Illuminati, deep state, shadow government types have in their tool belt. And of course, terrorism was a huge one. But all the while, even before 9-11, they talked about the threat of a bioweapon or a pandemic. And it's just leveraging or making happen all of this stuff to roll out the same agenda. And uh, we're going to get into that agenda and the Great Reset here in a sec. But regarding the presidential stuff, I've been following it. And it's always good entertainment for me. And um, I've been entertained by Trump. I don't think that he I do think that he represents a departure from the establishment and the Bush Clinton Clinton crime family and like the DNC deep state which we do see like deep state actors, democratic operatives in all of those simulations, they play a major role in it. Obviously the neocons do as well. Um, but I don't see how enough votes are gonna get tossed out to give the election back to Trump. I do see, and you pointed something out great, the pendulum swings to the left and the right. And when it swings more extreme, then it allows for more extreme to the other side and for people to turn their turn the other cheek when when ter terrible stuff is going on and going over Biden's like first hundred day agenda or on their little transition, which is called build back better, which is a great reset term. We're going to talk about that. A lot of the stuff like the Green New Deal, especially is just straight great reset technocracy, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, leveraging sustainability and social equity and dealing with poverty in order to roll out this technocratic control paradigm. So let's talk about the Great Reset because that's something that I've been obsessing over. It's one of those things when I heard about Agenda 21, I was like, wow, this is hot. This is some Illuminati shit right here. And then learning about the Great Reset, which is essentially a marketing plan for the rollout of what they've been working on for the past couple decades in this current context of sustainability technology, but this has been in the works. I saw this awesome documentary. It had uh, the, uh, I think it's the Committee of 300. I forget the name of this old school roundtable group, mm. but they talked about cashless society and technocracy and uh, digital ID and stuff. And this was back in the 70s. So I need to find the source for that. So uh, if you could explain an elevator pitch about what the Great Reset is and what uh, why people should be concerned about it. Let, let's hear that from you, your, your take on it. Yeah. So um, like you said, it's it's a continuation of Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. I think it's just a rebranding of 
the new world order essentially. And that's a phrase that I've really kind of stayed away from over the years, just because it has so many connotations that set people off. Jones uses it so much. (laughs) But I mean, at the end of the day, it is a phrase that they use and it it is very much what they are trying to create. So it is uh, representative of that. So they're, they're calling it the great reset and it is being pushed by the world economic forum who, like I mentioned, was involved with uh, event 201 and some of the other simulations as well. And, uh, the head of, of, of the great uh, the World Economic Forum at the moment is Klaus Schwab, who is also a steering committee member Fucking of the Bilderberg guy. Group. Yeah, he's uh, he's worked with the Bilderberg Group. He's you know he's been around the block and, and hanging out with these globalists, and I guess he's the spokesperson for them right now. Um, and there, there's two kind of things going on here. One, you have the World Economic Forum, who's been pushing the Great Reset since at least early June when they first launched their website, and then the book came out shortly after that. Well, they were pushing it before that. They just didn't yeah, have were. this brand, the Great Reset. Well, th- and this is what I was going to say is that so you have the and this is something I've been trying to find out more about, but it's honestly been pretty difficult. You have the Great Reset coming from the World Economic Forum, but I went and started looking at tweets and digging back, like how far back when did this phrase first start getting used this year? Mm-hmm. And there's an ad agency, a marketing agency called Project Disruptors, and it was founded by three different people who have been in like the ad and marketing agencies for decades and. Essentially, it seems like they're just trying to pick up Edward Bernays tools and decide like, hey, like the, the campaign they're saying, they originally were calling it um, uh, create the brief and then it was create the, the reset and then it evolved to the great reset. But they were basically saying like, hey, as marketers and advertisers, we have influence over people's minds. We have the ability to shape and the direction people go. So why not use this for positive things? And coincidentally, less people are driving and flying during COVID. People are going green without even trying to. So let's turn this into a trendy marketing campaign. And they've got an Instagram account and Twitter and all these different things. And, and they actually created greatreset.com. But the interesting thing about when you look at greatreset.com and you compare that to the Great Reset under the World Economic Forum, not only are the, the colors and the kind of branding scheme completely different, but neither one of them mention each other. Mm. Project Disruptors doesn't mention that, hey, we're working on this in coordination with the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum has no mention of Project Disruptors. When you look up Project Disruptors, they're a private, uh, privately held company. You can't find out who's financing them or who's funding them or where they came from. There's very little information about them. But when you search the hashtags and you look up Project Disruptors, you can see that they've been pushing the site. They've created all these friendly memes and they're partnering with companies like uh, Clear Channel and The Guardian. And so some of them have already, these major newspapers have already started to run their their ads or their memes or whatever to try to get this out there. So there's definitely an effort to make this like a, a trendy kind of thing on the project disruptor side and to be like, I mean, it's literally saying you've been helping save the world by doing nothing, which by that they mean staying home, locking down and not going anywhere. Keep, keep it up, you know, is kind of the, wow. the model here. Um, so yeah, there's like that thing, which I'm still working on unraveling because I feel like whoever's behind project disruptors, I mean, who knows, maybe that thing's funded by Bill Gates and that would kind of point more towards the people who are involved in it. But as it stands, these appear to be two totally different groups who just happen to both be pushing the great reset, which I don't really buy. Um, but on the world economic forum website, the great reset, they have actually this really, uh, quite well-designed map. It's like strategic intelligence. Yeah. And they did this after COVID. I talked about this a couple months ago. They called it the COVID-19 action platform, which basically we called one of those. For, yeah. I mean, exactly. That, I mean, I look at the map and I'm like, we, especially for, maybe we can talk about this in a little bit, the idea of the greater reset event, like recreating that kind of thing. Uh, but they had one of these for the COVID-19. They called it the COVID action platform, which was calling for global government. And when it comes to the great reset, it's basically just this kind of circular wheel and it looks at like um, technology. So they talk about 5G and the fourth industrial revolution. They look at health and we need telemedicine. You know, everything's going, like you said, full on digital, full push into transhumanism, full push into the technocracy that's going to be guided by experts. So like I said earlier, the idea of resetting the world or starting anew or building something better is something that I very much can connect with and um, and I and I promote. But what they're promoting is like a centralized top down technocrat experts ruling over things and they get to decide all this, but then they're promoting it through marketing and trying to make it like a trend and get people into this idea. Like, yeah, we do need to build back better. We do need to, you know, reset everything. We do need to abolish capitalism for these more equitable things that they're promising us are going to be wonderful. And then of course, both you and I have covered that uh, the world economic forum since 2016 has been promoting what the world's going to look like in 2030 and specifically saying like, you don't own anything, you have no privacy, and uh, there you go. Welcome to 2030. I own nothing. 
And there's even been talks of a debt reset, which I think will push people towards universal basic income and towards social credit score and probably towards vaccines. Because if you take the, the idea that you could reset the people's debt and put everybody back to zero, but they floated the idea, but then that might mean you have to give up ownership. You have to relinquish properties. You have to relinquish the things that you own, but you'll be, you know, back to zero. You don't own anything. You don't, you know, you don't own any debt. And, you know, we're going to get you on a UBI once a month income. I mean, these ideas are being consistently floated more and more, and it's coming from the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum. And I'm sure it's coming from even higher than them. But um, I think people have started to notice. I will say that since this year began, I feel like more and more people know the phrase dark winter. They know the term Great Reset. And and I was pointing this out to you, man, but I want to say like, again, we're like, we got 95 people over here on DLive. We were deplatformed off YouTube, but we've been getting more views on all these different platforms. And I've noticed that not just with our channel, but with other people. So I think that people are truly seeking this information out. They're truly trying to find it, not just on Facebook and YouTube, but looking elsewhere. And to the point that the phrase dark winter is not like, it's not unknown anymore. Neither is the great reset, which I think is a sign of progress that we're making and educating people. Well, yeah, a lot of people think one man or woman can't make much of a difference, but I know you're not the only one pushing this stuff, but you're really pushing it hard and getting a lot of exposure to it. And then you put it out to someone and someone gets the idea, someone gets inspired, someone gets motivated, and they spread it and it has this great multiplier effect. And yeah, we got a lot of people watching on uh, Facebook and YouTube. There's 84 and it looks like there's more on DLive. So be before I let you go, I want to talk about that D platform and make sure people know how... Uh, they can find you. But regarding the Great Reset, I, yeah, I pulled up this article, and this article I think is really telling. And this isn't the only article that they have like this. This is on the World Economic Forum website, but they continuously get these propaganda pieces published in mainstream media uh, as little editorials. But essentially what they're pushing for, like you said, is is no privacy and no property, which is almost, it's like this tech, it's like a digital communism mixed in with this eco-fascism on the Agenda 21 front. But so we have about 14 minutes left. I definitely want to cover the de-platform and how people can find you. But let's spend the rest of our time talking about solutions, which you and I are both all about. And let's talk about freedom cells and hopefully inspire the people that are, have been following us that haven't joined yet to inspire. But I want to read this little passage because whenever I found this little section here on this article, it really spoke to me. And it, I believe it's the strategy that we ought to adopt to carve out our little piece. Because as you've said, um, you know, sometimes I take offense to when you're like, America's doomed because it's helping to manifest that, right? And you are an influencer. And I do notice too, you say the great reset is coming no matter what, whether it's Biden or Trump or whatever, it's coming. And so while I like to be an optimist and idealistic, I'm also not naive. And I do agree with you that there's so much momentum, so much billions of dollars. All the world's influencers are bought into this, right? All of the world leaders, not all of them, but most of them. And if they're not bought into it, they'll probably go the way of like Gaddafi or Hussein, right? Who didn't go along to get along with central banking. This will be the new central banking. And so I do believe that the future will be this technocratic new world order 2.0. And so what we need to ask ourselves as the free people that aren't going to go along with all of this is how do we carve out our piece of the world so that we can live relatively unscathed, unmolested by this beast of a system. And that's what I've had my mind on. And then I discovered this little section here in the in the in this Great Reset propaganda article. I should point out that this article is from 2016 or 2017. So this is before they even had the Great Reset branding um, from uh, November 11th, 2016. Okay, so let me just read this real quick. It, after it goes over and makes it seem so wonderful to not own property and to not have any privacy, then there's this little section. They live different lot different kinds of lives outside the city. My biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city, those we lost on the way, those who decided that it became too much, all this technology, those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and AI took over big parts of our jobs, those who got upset with the political system and turned against it. They live different kinds of lives outside the city. Some have formed little self-supplying communities. Others stayed in the empty and abandoned houses and small 19th century villages. So if... In the end, the technocracy allows us just to live outside the city, outside of the smart cities, then that's a wonderful thing. Although there's the whole 
totalitarian element of it where they're going to want 100 percent compliance if they can get it. What is your take whenever you read that and what steps are you taking in your life and what can other people do in their lives in order to realize this outside of the smart city technocracy lifestyle that we're going for, which essentially is like the free man beyond the wall? So first off, sorry for uh, manifesting anything negative. I'm definitely not trying to manifest anything bad. No, you're just um, keeping it real. And if I have said the U.S. is doomed, I retract that statement. I don't think it's headed in a positive direction. You heard direction. it here, folks. <laughs> I don't think it's headed in a positive direction, but I know that yourself and you know Tony Guerin and um, Lisa and all the people that we know are just kicking ass and working on freedom cells and solutions and so many great people in the U.S. And then again, there are people holding down the fort in India, holding down the fort in Australia, holding yeah. down the fort in the U.K. And so while I don't, don't forget the U.S. has all the guns, too, which is a big element in all this. I hope it never and, comes to that. But that's and I think yeah. that is a, that is a major variable, of course, like that some of these other places don't have, um, including Mexico. I mean, that doesn't mean people don't own guns, but as far yeah. as legally. Um, so I think that it's clear that the agenda has been for some time. And I and I don't think this is an Amero-centric view. I think this is just, this is what they've said, that their goal is to collapse the US. Like they need the US to be broken down to a, a much more manageable status. And part of the great reset, of course, is like, hey, things have gotten bad enough. We need a reset, right? It seems like COVID is playing perfectly into that. Keep locking down people, keep destroying the economy, um, you know, food, uh, food scarcity and all these different things that are kind of coalescing at one time. It's taking away people's independence. Exactly. And it's making, it wants to make people, the system wants to make people more uh, dependent on it. Like through the, here's your stimulus check. Well, that's going to lead to a UBI. And they're already talking about these uh, global um, central bank digital currencies. And so there's, a, there's a lot of push in towards this, what the world economic forum, the great reset are talking about. That is why I guess I have um, a less than optimistic view, which I think is, is, uh, you know, tampered with realism. But the reason I wrote how to opt out of the technocratic state is because I do believe agorism is the answer and whether or not people like fully buy into the philosophy of Samuel Conkin and they read his books or not. I mean, the point is you need to opt out. You need to be prepared. You need to, you know, form freedom cells, form family groups, pods, whatever, because we as individuals cannot survive what's coming alone I mean, because they want to lock you out where you can't go to the groceries without rates already here. You can't go to the grocery in many places without a mask. Thankfully, HEB in Texas doesn't you know, really enforce that. And some other places don't. But imagine once the vaccines roll out. Now, yesterday, Trump's announcing 90 percent effective vaccine. And, you know, uh, it, it's all coming up into play here. And they've already floated the idea. You have it's been blowing my mind just to kind of rethink about this. You have mainstream publications like USA Today publishing opinion pieces from ethicists discussing how they should raise healthcare for people who don't get the vaccine. They should keep them from being able to work and travel. I mean, these plans are being discussed openly. I have another report coming out about a new study saying again, that uh, where a leading ethicist is arguing that, you know, they should use these social engineering ways to pressure people to get vaccines. They should pay them to get the vaccine, to incentivize them. All these different, you know, all these different uh, uh, methods that they're going to use to try to force compliance. So I don't know that it will come down to a gun to your head and people coming and ripping you out of your your house for not getting the vaccine. Uh, for sure, we know the C CDC is working on quarantine camps and isolation camps. Those are absolutely being developed, like they are in Canada and Australia and New Zealand. Um, but it might not come to that them literally coming to your head and like you know get get vaccine or you're dead. But they, they're going to make it very difficult to survive and to thrive within their, their frame, unless you want to abandon property, unless you want to abandon individuality, unless you want to you know, abandon all those sort of things that many of us have become accustomed to in order to be reset and you know, you'll get your vaccine, you'll have your immunity passport, you can travel freely or whatever. If that's the kind of life you want, then basically don't do anything because it's coming and you can embrace that if you like. But if that doesn't sound like liberty and freedom to you, you need to be able to form essentially your counter economic community, your tribe that can trade together, that can protect each other, that can sh scare, sh uh, share skills and knowledge with each other. And that's what the Freedom Cell Network is. I mean, like you meant, we mentioned earlier, we're starting Freedom Cells down here in Mexico now because no matter where we're at, we want to build this concept. And John's showing the map right now on screen. I mean, we, we're just past 5,500 members from all around the world. I'm sitting here looking at my email right now, John, and I got a dozen or so email, new emails from people who are curious about Freedom Cells and want to know more how to use it. This concept is growing like exponentially every single day because people are finally looking for solutions. So if we can't thrive and survive as a lone wolf with the uh, technocratic state coming, 
then we need to have tribe. We need to have community to lean on, to protect and to defend each other and to trade food with each other. You know, one of the things we're doing is we're, we're starting to go. I mentioned we're finding a lot of local organic markets. When we were here last time, we made sure to get some of the phone numbers to the vendors that we're working with and said, look, if they start shutting things down, we'll come directly to you. We'll buy directly from your, your house or we'll go meet you at the farm or whatever because those people need to survive, but also we wanna make sure we can still get the goods that we need without having to go, I guess I'll put my mask on and go into the, the store, you know, cause I got it, cause I didn't plan ahead and I don't have any other choice. And I think that's what people are gonna be faced with that they don't start thinking ahead. We're all in living in different situations. I don't have a full-time job or three or four kids or a mortgage or a lot of those things that I know lots of people are dealing with. But I do wanna emphasize that I think we're past the point of starting to think of how we would deal with these circumstances under normal conditions. Like, I think we need to start thinking about how am I going to make sure that my family, my kids, their kids and the seven generations and beyond can survive and thrive. And if you think that you can do that within the system and that your children are going to be okay being born into that, into this technocratic control grid, then I guess, you know, welcome it and, and go into it. But if you're like us and you think that that is not the liberty and the freedom and the way you want to live or that you want your children or grandchildren and so on to live, then you need to start planning ahead. You need to come together and, and think of how you're going to work outside the system, invest in silver or crypto or uh, barter networks or just alternative ways of exchanging that aren't in their grid. And it's not only the economics. I mean, when it comes to healthcare, right? Because what are you going to do if you, you need to go to the doctor for some reason? Well, even in Mexico, many of the hospitals are trying to say, hey, well, you need to get a test for you can come into the hospital. We know that the tests are faulty, that the tests lead to false positives. So why would you want to submit yourself to that and then have them say, oh, you're positive. Well, now we need you to quarantine or whatever, you know. So how are you going to take care of your health? And I know you've talked a lot about health shares and people coming together and that. I think that's a great idea. So we just need to start thinking about how how can we live and, and not just skate by, but thrive. Like, like we talked about, John, we don't want to just be like in Brave New World, they talk about the savages that lived outside of the, you know, the the control grid. It's funny that all these dystopians, dystopian novels have kind of had a group that was outside of that. But they try mm -hmm. to, the state always tries to describe them as like they're barely surviving or they, you know, they're cannibals or whatever they have to say to keep people from going to look outside yeah. of the walls or whatever. Um, so I think that it, it, that indicates that perhaps they will let us just live outside or that they're aware that they won't be able to convince everybody, mm -hmm. but they might be able to use enough propaganda to convince others to, to mm -hmm. exit. But I think this is honestly just the brilliance of Samuel Conkin's words and philosophy playing out because he pretty much predicted that this would happen, that as the state gets more aggressive and as people exit and start building agoras and pockets of freedom around, that the other people who are still inside the system are going to start to realize like, holy crap, these people are thriving, they're living yeah. happy, like, what am I doing here? I'm going to go check it out. And I really think we're at that point. We're still way early in the stage of what he predicted, but people are definitely looking over the fence now and seeing like, hey, those people seem to be kind of, you know, their kids aren't vaccinated, they're educated, they're smart, they're intelligent, they're informed, they look healthy. And here I am, you know, having to do what the state says, because it's not just the money. If you stay in the state system, um, one of the guys, just as an example, one of the guys that was appointed to Biden's coronavirus task force is a guy that says it's not worth living past 75. And that, you know, he doesn't think the U.S. should prioritize healthcare for people who are over 75, right? So just another example that if you're on their grid in their system, they might eventually be able to decide whether or not you live or die, whether or not you get life extending treatment. Um, so there's so many ways that being plugged into their grid is going to be detrimental. And that's why the answer is to start free, forming freedom cells, visit freedomcells.org, create a profile, add yourself to the individual map, search the cell map. If you're on Telegram, you can check out, we have Telegram cells, a bunch of people are organizing and communicating on Telegram. We're hosting regular meetings. And if there's nobody in your area, then you need to be the one to start it. I mean, and I know for some people that's a little bit, it's past their comfort zone or I'm new to this. I don't know where to start. It's time to put all that aside. And I think just embrace the leader that isn't within each of us and step up to the plate because we need leaders in Ireland. We need leaders in Mexico and US and all over the place. I mean, it's, it's, it's really that time where we're gonna decide whether liberty is gonna thrive or it's gonna be suffocated under this technocratic boot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that we have with Freedom Cells is community. And Derek and I have been involved in this and researching this and doing activism for quite some time, I guess like 30 years between the two of us. And we, you know, are maybe advanced and we know what to expect. And 
prepped and so on and so forth. Although I still got a whole lot of preps to do. I live in a freaking tiny home and, you know, trying to get the property like Derek's doing and stuff. But we have a community that we have helped to build of over 5,500 people. And if you feel timid, if you feel uncertain, if you don't know what the next step ought to be to protect yourself, your family, and your community, you can join the Freedom Cell Network. We have telegram groups for different cities, different regions, different areas. We have a meta telegram group with over 400 people. And it's a great place where people can come and share their concerns. They can ask for advice. They can get tapped into the network. So essentially what we're trying to create, it's not just defensive in that we want to shield ourselves, insulate ourselves from the technocracy. But more importantly, it's a proactive step that we're taking to create the society that we all deserve as free, beautiful human beings. And it's not just an idea. It's not just a concept that we're speculating on. There's already groups. There's already cells. And like I pulled it up earlier, but I don't know if people understand each one of these dots represents a participant in the Freedom Cell Network. This is just the United States. It's globally. Each one of these dots represents a cell, a group of people united by their geography or united behind a common purpose. So we're really doing it, and we strongly invite you to come over to freedomcells.org and to join this network because I think it's one of the best solutions that we have out there to protect ourselves from the coming te technocracy and to, to find ourselves, to carve out our little piece of the sovereign pie. All right, so um, you just had your YouTube channel, which had amassed over, what, 2,000 videos, 2 million views, something crazy, and uh, I want to thank you. You invited me to come on your channel, and that really helped to... Uh, motivate me and spur me to get back into content creation, which I'd kind of been dormant from for a while. So thank you for that. And I know one of the three strikes that we got was one of my Kratom videos. So my bad on that one, but we both know that ultimately they were coming for the channel anyway. It was just too damn hard hitting the shit that was being put out. <laughs> so uh, just share real quick before we let you go, because we have a call to hop on to. Um, what was that like? How do you feel about that? I know you mentioned earlier that now uh, the library and BitChute and we just had D live. Like there's 81 people watching right now on Facebook and YouTube. Those are the people that those are the numbers that I would get when we had the conscious resistance channel. And now D live is just cranking with people. So shout out to all the people that are on D live, 98 people. So it, and this is an idea whose time has come and you can't really stop it. So share what happened with the YouTube channel. And then more importantly, I'll pull up your website here. Let people know some of the channels that they can find you on. Yeah, of course. And yeah, John, always, you're always welcome to, I love collaborating with you. And for those who don't know the kind of background, cause I know that it seems like, like you said, you, you've been focused on your family for a couple of years. And so you've been doing that important work. And now that you're coming back into the fold and working with the conscious resistance, I think some of the people who followed me have got to know you and your work. And a lot of you guys might not be aware that John has been a huge inspiration for my work since the very beginning um, from speaking in Houston at the Federal Reserve way back in 2011 and so many other things. Actually, the person who introduced me to agorism and to freedom cells. So I always appreciate working with you, brother. Um, but yeah, I did get purged from YouTube and it was it was inevitable. I think it's been two and a half, three weeks now going on. But, um, you know, it was from one of your Kratom strikes. It was from Johan talking about masks in India. And ultimately, it was from me talking about the fact that as part of Operation Warp Speed, there's a plan to get the people to use not only cell phones for health apps and contact tracing apps, but to wear these biosensors. And also one of the companies is working on something called bioelectronics. And I guess they didn't like that. They accused me of trying to promote or sell pharmaceuticals. And um, I don't know, but like you said, they were just looking for an excuse. And so we knew that was coming. Thankfully, all my videos are backed up on my hard drives, but they're also backed up on library and BitChute. And we've been, you know, all this did was encourage me to take new steps to make our content, you know, more, more protected and, and more secure. So since then, now all my recent videos that you guys will notice, we're not only posting, for example, like when you look at darkest winter, we're posting the documentary itself, but that's being embedded into our own servers using the, uh, the social media network peer tube, which is like these federated, um, you know, federated different servers where you can actually own your own server. So we're hosting on our own servers, but we're also on the website posting all the links to BitChute, to Library, to Float, to Hive, to Mines. And I'm also posting the audio versions. So I'm trying to make it as simple and just easy for people to consume the content no matter what. And I will say, man, just yesterday, actually, we had our best traffic day ever. And, you know, since we've been 
reporting traffic on, on the website. Yeah. So nice. we're at the at the pace we are now. It's November 11th right now, and we've already had 66,000 unique views this month alone. Like we're on pace if this continues wow. to have the best record traffic that we've ever had on the website. Um, the numbers are going up on my text list, on the email list, on the bit shoot, on the library. Like so, I mean, this is just like. Honestly, I feel like this is a sign that maybe YouTube, which many of us have suspected, has actually been suppressing numbers for some time and that now we're actually seeing more of a reflection of how many people we're actually reaching mm. and they're just going other platforms. So it's all really good and I'm thankful for it. Like I said, it's just spurring me on to work harder and to keep reaching people. And if I get deleted off every platform, then I'll just go back to where my activism started and I'll start printing out DVDs and flyers and you know go into the streets because I still think that that is vital work. And just like we're talking about, we can't give into this totally digital world that the Great Reset is pushing for. I think there's a lot of activists that exclusively focus on digital digital activism instead of realizing that, you know, for me, the evolution, the revolution, the real evolution, it's in the conversations. It's in the way that we communicate with people. And when you hand somebody a flyer, yeah, sometimes people say you're crazy and they move on or they ignore you. But often in my 10 years of activism and building the activist community in Houston, we've seen people who, oh, wow, I didn't know somebody else was talking about this. Who are you guys? You live here? What are you doing? Can I join you? You know, and, and it just builds from there, it builds each person, each conversation, each flyer, each video. So no matter what they do, my work will always be at theconsciousresistance.com. Uh, like I said, we're more, we're making it more and more secure. We're hoping to start streaming directly through the, the website more often and just adding more features to make it accessible that way. Um, my, I'm also joining Ben Swan's ice.media. I'll have a video out on there later today and collaborating with some other people. So my work won't be going anywhere anytime soon. That's right. Our community and network and just the voluntarists, agorists, community, libertarians, the permaculture types that are outside of the box thinking, um, it's just such a vast number of people that are creative and have energy and focus and momentum. There's really no stopping us at this point. So we just need to be strategic in, in how we how we find that freedom and, and protect ourselves. And I just want to thank you so much, bros. Like I'm I'm in awe. I don't know how you put the content out and how you do what you do. And uh, it, it's just I think you're really doing a great service to 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 mankind and for future generations as well. So. Thanks for doing what you're doing. You you helped to inspire me to, to keep going and to to give it my best. So uh, yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. Again, the website, theconsciousresistance.com, theconsciousresistance.com. It's my website, livefreenow.show and Derek's. They're hosted by Liberty Agorist Voluntarist type. So they're not gonna shut us down for the same reason big tech is doing and all that stuff. So follow us at the website, subscribe to Derek's text list, subscribe to the email list. Those are ways that cannot be circumvented, right? Even if MailChimp shuts you out, there's still, you have the email list and you'll find another channel. So everybody, look, here's the deal. We are powerful human beings and we all have the potential to create the world that we desire. We just need to step out of the reactionary fear paradigm and into the proactive, taking massive action in order to create our desired world. And Derek and I are going to be here to take this journey with you. So thanks a lot, Derek. Thanks for coming on, man. I right, thank you, brother. All right, peace. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See ya.